Yeah, obviously, Jim, again, I know uh, now you've been with Microsoft for years in addition to a bunch of experience in the medical domain doing startup stuff and things, things like that. Um, where, where now, you know, you're involved in GenTech, where now do you kind of see the, um, the future of these technologies that have potentially the ability to change what human potential or human experience is? Um, you know, where, where do you see those, those, uh, those bridges, I guess, being crossed initially in the domain of, of these technologies through your work with Singularity maybe there? Yeah, yeah. So trying to tie all these threads together, I think they do weave, um, uh, you know, a fabric of conversation we can have. The, the, um, I'll start with the notion, and if I recall correctly, you're, you're a positive psychologist or in that. Yeah, that yep. Space. That's my, yeah. that's my initial academic training was with Martin Seligman. Out in the, the positive psych stuff at Penn, yep. Yeah, cool. Uh, so, so the positivism aspect of you know um, uh, is an interest. So let me just list the things we can talk about and then decide how to connect them. So sure. there's the there's a positivism uh, uh, component to things, uh, and uh, that's, that's worth acknowledging that yeah, transitions medicine from a preventative, uh, sorry, a reactive. Um, model of treating disease to a preventative one of yeah. dealing with wellness. So there's that uh, dimension to uh, uh, to consider. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're, you're familiar with all the stuff that goes there, but we can uh, dig into that. Certainly. Um, uh, then there is the uh, sort of, I'll call it the mechanics aspect of uh, the overall, the related fields of uh, understanding the, the internals of what medicine largely has treated as black box of, you know, certain medicines will make blood pressure go up or down, and uh, we have sort of an empirical understanding of, of uh, what might be happening, but we really don't understand uh, until recently mechanisms of action there. And Got it. Genetics, um, systems biology at its most hardcore is sort of understanding the wiring diagram of what makes us up as... Um, uh, what makes up the materials of uh, what we're composed of as machines. Uh, and, and there are emergent properties to the complexity of what we, what we uh, uh, can achieve. Uh, and if you combine those two things, uh, understanding sort of uh, the moving parts of our, how we work and uh, what makes us tick, uh, and a positivism approach to that, then sort of augmentation becomes the sort of next logical step of, uh, well, if, if this machine works in this way, how can I make it work uh, um, more efficiently exactly. or achieve, uh, you know, better mileage, so to speak? Yeah. And, um, you know, the, between the dimensions of those three things, uh, sort of uh, a positivism approach that uh, shifts us from reactive to proactive um, uh, ways of uh, treating our lives from a medical standpoint uh, a mechanistic understanding of what makes us work, uh, and uh, a goal of uh, you know achieving better and better uh, uh, status, uh, sort of you know transhumanism and other related things sort of uh, tend to live at that intersection. So let me, let me okay, pause sure. it for a second and, and see you know is this the kind of discussion you want to have? Oh or yes, certainly. Do you no, want to drill into each of those things? That, that's or, that's precisely that's precisely where where I figured we'd end up. Although I like the fact that you've just broken it down into those three kind of conceptual quadrants, I suppose. Which which uh, I'm seeing the interaction of now that you're kind of laying it out. 
Um, and yeah, del delving into those, I, I suppose would be would certainly be interesting. Um, I wasn't sure how how thoroughly kind of the positivism uh, was being imbued in, in the medical world thus far. My, my assumption was that for the most part, the vast majority of, of money spent or research done is is uh, is along the lines of kind of amelioration. And uh, in the positive psych in the positive psych world, our our kind of emphasis or philosophical leaning was in the other direction. Not that either one is right or wrong, but that both exist. Um, how do you see that as kind of evolving or developing at present in, in the medical world? Yeah, that is an awesome uh, statement, and it's very insightful. And right at the center of this, and I, well, I'll assert um, my hypothesis here is that they, if the interplay between these three things that produces uh, the state we're in. So it's sort of based on how advanced we are, um, uh, in one versus the other legs of this stool. Let's think of these three things as sort of like the legs of a stool. Uh, you'll produce a particular result. So because we currently don't understand mechanically how how things work, let's say, uh, at the systems biology level, and arguably we, we know uh, the amount of things we don't know far exceeds the amount of things we do know in that Ooh, space, yes. uh, we're forced to treat our... Um, uh, physical nature, the organism aspect of our machinery, uh, as a black box. And as a result, we sort of have to uh, wait for things to break uh, to, to fix them. Mm. Uh, and, and I would argue that's why we've evolved sort of a reactive approach, which is, ah, hey, if okay. this thing's working, we don't know how it works in the first place, but it seems to be working, we call that health. Uh, it, it would be too much to think about augmenting a thing you don't know um, anything about. Yeah. Uh, but if that's true, uh, uh, and it's a little bit of circular logic because you know we sort of reinforce our reactive thing. But if that's true, you can break this loop by saying, well, what if we did understand how things work and uh, go down the information theory path of systems biology and understanding those pieces? Then it opens the possibility uh, for moving into a positive approach and augmentation versus amelioration. Got it. Yes, it does, um, and that's interesting. Kind of seeing that as an origin. Obviously, there's there's uh, from a psych perspective, there's kind of the very, um, you know, the very the very real notion of our response to negative stimuli being stronger than that of positive. You know, news channels being able to get a little bit more attention by throwing out the negative stuff. So there's that side of things. But it's interesting to see that the the black box nature of how we've dealt with health could, in and of itself, have been one of the prompters of the fact that we have a, a reactive model in place there. Um, right. So, yeah, so I guess that, that moves us right into the next piece of how systems bio is, is sort of moving us forward, and you mentioned that ties into kind of information theory. Yeah, so my, my opinion here is really, um, so I'm an information theory guy by training, really, and uh, started off in the bioengineering world, uh, heavy math, heavy um, neuroscience, AI, uh, training, and uh, what, what really struck me is uh, the, the patterns of activity that our neurons uh, uh, participate in or uh, your liver cells or any other system of uh, things uh, is really an information theoretic pattern, and what's really happening is information flow of a particular type is being um, manipulated uh, electrochemically in our case and, and how the things we're made of uh, uh, can achieve things. 
but uh, you know certainly you can add numbers mechanically using a, you know an old time register uh, that has no no electronics in it uh, or at the other end uh, you know completely electronically. So, yeah. but in all cases, there's a pattern of information there that's adding uh, numbers. So we can add numbers biologically. Uh, gears and pulleys can add numbers uh, in an adding machine. Uh, you know the first era industrial uh, era. And, uh, or completely electronically uh, in present day. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting to think about, you know, will the next uh, step in understanding systems biology uh, go past the, the things, the components, um, and look at the bigger pattern of information processing that goes on uh, uh, to produce, you know, what we call health. Uh, and if you do, if you go down that path, it's, it's interesting to think about health as sort of uh, an information process, um, and uh, and all the corollaries for that. There's a lot of there's a big, uh, longer discussion we can have in that space. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that rabbit hole goes down pretty deep. Um, and do you see in in, in some respects? I mean, it. Uh, again, I was able to dig a little bit into some of the things you're doing over there with the Microsoft team um, at a Health Solutions Group. Um, but do, do you see other people in the medical domain or the health domain, um, leaders, real movers and shakers, kind of seeing the information, um, kind of information theory as a mode of understanding this? Are you sort of an outlier in that regard? Uh, I, would say, I would say we're at the forefront. Um, there are pockets, uh, you know, sort of in the William Gibson style uh, quote of, um, you know, the future's already here, it's just not evenly distributed. The, um, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of at the leading edge, um, and there are pockets of folks uh, joining us. Uh, but I would say, you know, you're the, the rank-and-file physician, your average physician, uh, is not thinking about uh, their patients as, as a bundle of information patterns, although they are, right? They're, they're the charts <laughs> that they keep uh, are, you know, records of what happened. Uh, and you could look at uh, healthcare as a, just a giant data mining operation. Uh, that if you added predictive modeling to it, like you would with any other system, uh, you you could start moving us along that positivism arc that I'm uh, asserting uh, yeah. is present. We're just not taking uh, part in right now because of the lack of knowledge. And and uh, yeah, I suppose the rank and file physician, uh, so to speak, not in any derogatory sense, but the guy who's out there with a, a practice or something along those lines, he's maybe less less focused in research and or cutting-edge research and more on kind of treating patients, et cetera. But it's cool that there are, you know, people pushing that side of things forward in, in really, as you would say, kind of hardcore medical science. Um, yeah. In terms of in terms of the augmentation side of stuff, I'm, I'm uh, it's, it sounds as though I'm, I'm of the same ilk um, as you'd kind of laid out there where it seems as though given the amalgam of factors at play and given the directions of things, that that is, is an, uh, an inevitable and both massively, both inevitable and, and massively consequential kind of conversation to have and, and, and uh, bridge to cross per se. Um, where do you see us kind of uh, coming close to that or, or where, where does that maybe concern you or do you see opportunities or possibilities there um, in terms of augmentation moving forward? Yeah, I see, I see mostly opportunity. I think, 
the the old uh, paradigm has to make way for the new one, uh, much as our civilization has uh, evolved. Uh, each time it reaches these deflection points, we'll have we have that in front of us, and of course the you know uh, Kurzweilian uh, singularity style thought process is sort of the most complete description I've seen about uh, what is possible out there, and even if only a fraction of uh, what he describes um, will happen, it's it's a revolution. And you know, a hundred years ago, the world was completely different uh, than it is today. And uh, frankly, 10 years ago was much uh, different yeah. than it is today. Yep. Uh, and so these exponential nonlinear uh, curves have always occurred. Um, and so you know, I think we should be prepared for the fact that uh, an information-based understanding of the patterns that make us up uh, inevitably will uh, be possible. And at that point, augmentation will be become uh, allowable, right? It's not practical now because you can't really augment something you don't understand. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, it will inevitably occur. Somebody, you know, folks overclock their CPUs and their computers uh, today, and they they will overclock themselves if they can. And arguably, uh, you said over overclock. That's an that? interesting term to use. Overclock. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it's it's um, you can, I use that specifically because you can see. It happens, you know, performance athletes right now uh, spend quite a lot of energy uh, trying to figure out how to augment themselves. Uh, some of it is using, I'll call your inbuilt mechanisms, exercise, you know, your, your, we're adaptation machines, so we'll, we'll augment ourselves um, by working out. Uh, you get stronger and healthier and so on, and that's remarkable, but that's part of, it's just a natural consequence of our machinery. Yep. And, uh, and the supplement folks, you know, some supplements actually do work, and you can you can do the growth hormone thing or the testosterone thing or the fill-in-the-blank thing, and it, it will work inevitably and create augmentation that way. Yeah. Uh, but because we're only uh, looking at one part of the system, the part that we can, the small part that we can understand, uh, it has a so, it has side effects. And uh, you know, my uh, my. Um, Gearhead friends who uh, race cars, you know, you can put naphthalene or whatever mothballs uh, in gasoline, dissolve it in gasoline, and get you know incredible performance out of that engine for a little while. Yeah. So it melts, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can see the, but you can see the theme I'm I'm yeah. uh, describing by example here. Big time, and and that's that's really one of the the drivers in my mind of of sort of as you had said, you know, it'll happen at some point. I think that. Um, you know, I, I very much believe that to be the case, and I, I think, given any any technology, I, I was talking to Ben Gertzel not too long ago, and he he had mentioned he'd use some kind of analogy that any kind of um, if we're able to improve any of our faculties, then that means that not improving them could be some kind of inefficiency, assuming that there really isn't that much drawback to the improvement of it, and any kind of personal inefficiency, if we're working, can apply to. Uh, you know, an, an economic inefficiency, which in which case will eventually just be run over, that, you know, we're going to have to overcome those. And, you know, if, if one company has, you know, people that only need to sleep two hours a, a day, then, you know, everybody else is going to want to have people that only sleep two hours a day. And, and it's not obviously not just with sleep, but with any, every, any given faculty, 
um, there's so much pressure commercially and otherwise to, to move forward. You had mentioned athletics as well, which I think is another apt example. Yep. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And uh, economics as a driver here is a very interesting one because you can, uh, it, it would be, it, it uh, would be um, worth the effort to sort of fully analyze the economic impact of any particular uh, set of events. You know, if, if you gave uh, sleep as a group rate productivity one, uh, you know, and long life, you know, what would the investment strategy be for people who live 300 or 400 years, uh, for example? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and what would retirement look like if you were healthy, uh, as, as healthy as a 25-year-old that entire period of time? Mm. Uh, and what would the health economics be if people didn't get sick, right? Do, would you really need, you know, the reactive care that we have? You'd need augmenters, right, people who could augment people, but you might not need reactors, people who can fix them, uh, and, and, on, and on and on. Yep. And it introduces the, you know, corollary to that of um, strange economic biases in the other that have emerged in other systems. So, uh, you know, farming subsidies, uh, it makes sense for farmers uh, sometimes, strangely, to dump the, you know, the overproduction in milk that they have um, for a given farm because otherwise they would start to collapse the, uh, the economic system that keeps them afloat, uh, and, uh, and they, they sort of artificially keep it inflated. Yeah. Um, uh, if everybody is augmented, you know, what would the Olympics look like? You know, un, you'd have to have unaugmented Olympics and augmented Olympics and yeah. all those other things. And, you know, right now, why is, why is uh, you know, doping or growth hormone or testosterone illegal in uh, professional sports? Because if it was, if it was legal, um, uh, then those folks would bring the opposition and yeah. uh, would create a bias. And so you can see economic forces sort of preventing progress instead of accelerating it. And there's that health factor, too, I guess, as you had mentioned before, right now, augmentation. You, know, you had mentioned the mothball example. You know, blood doping, I guess we could see as kind of a corollary there. And, and obviously the Olympic committees and whatever other committees kind of see that factor. But, but I think, you know, from a commercial standpoint, as you had mentioned, yeah, what happens when there really is no downside to the augmenting that we can do? Well, yeah, but the downside part is one aspect of it, as you point out uh, as well, but but, you know, smoking or overeating is not illegal in the Olympics. You yeah. can eat, you can eat, you can overeat. It wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> uh, but they don't prevent you and, to do that, even though there's huge side effects. And you can, you can drive uh, without your seatbelt on, too. Exactly. And uh, they don't prevent that because it doesn't have an economic impact. Interesting. Uh, that's the, you know, really. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting... You know, it, it'll be interesting to see to fully. I'm not aware of an economic study that imagines, you know, what would the full cost um, footprint look like uh, and revenue footprint uh, in that in that case. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, yeah. In terms of you had mentioned that you see uh, this future and the potential of augmentation in a positive light. I think that. Um, you know, if, if this is going to be, you know, our transition, then, then yes, we ought uh, look for possibilities. We ought look for kind of that positive shift. Um, are, are there any areas that for you are particularly exciting at present for kind of the aggregate betterment of humanity in terms of augmentation technologies or, or the future thereof, kind of more, more present tent, tense-ish, the stuff that you see coming up? Uh, so basically nearer term than uh, far yeah, yep. away. Yeah, near term. Yeah, I think I think we're close to understanding 
the tools that we have to understand the information processes, information-based processes that we have in systems biology are getting mature enough that we have a chance at cracking uh, the code at least um, to the next level of resolution. And the, the systems biology effort uh, started in the 90s, and it's been steadily evolving uh, for 20, 30 years now. And um, I think it's, it's worth recognizing that. And by mm -hmm. the time it gets to the 30-year mark, uh, so in the next four to five years, uh, it will have uh, reached a level of maturity, I believe, uh, where we can start to um, turn the black box into a white box and understand, you know, a lot about what's going on in our biology. And uh, mm. that, that I think, will herald in the beginning of uh, this movement towards positivism uh, in, our, in our biology. And, and how do you potentially see some of those transitions move forward, assuming we get to a, a more white box state uh, coming up in terms of our cognition or our biological makeup and the systems that comprise them, um, which which areas do you, do you see as kind of being furthered initially? A lot of people speak of cognitive enhancement. Um, longevity, obviously, is a big emphasis for a lot of uh, people in terms of altering the real human condition in a fundamental sense. Um, what are some yeah. of th those initial possibilities that, that this understanding might be able to yield earlier on? Yeah, I think it'll be broad spectrum. So I think I think you know first, uh, I think we'll see the emergence of new pharma companies that are that are uh, information driven companies more so than they are today, uh, aiming at augmentation or at least uh, wellness maintenance uh, uh, than uh, treating diseases, and um, and and in that model. Uh, they will probably have uh, significant or, or reasonably interesting offerings in, in each area, uh, in each therapeutic area. So uh, you can, you know, um, uh, starting, and I say, I would say starting from the simpler to the more complex, and on the simple side is sort of physiology augmentation, so better muscle tone, uh, better, you know, better metabolism, uh, uh, resisting aging uh, through, you know, uh, polymerase uh, protection and things like that. Those are all within reach uh, kinds of things, and they're at the uh, physiological level. Uh, our minds are really a function of that physiology, so it's a very short step to, to think about cognitive enhancers. Mm. And uh, you can imagine sort of cocktails or packs of those things uh, emerging uh, to maintain sort of you know healthy population or sort of the augmented uh, population, and again, I think those are all going to be a function of understanding um, the mechanism of action you know underneath the covers. Big time. Um, so yeah, being able to again muscle tone or or uh, cognitive enhancement. It seems as though um, you know when when cognitive enhancement is is possible. Uh, and some people talk about kind of the, uh, you know, like the brain net as opposed to the internet, um, which I think is an interesting, an interesting notion and, and also possibly a very viable reality. Um, the, it seems as though the, the whole um, nonlinear curve thing really, really does take a turn because now all of these minds working and there's so many more of them and with so many more, so much more information available to them. Now those minds in and of themselves are uh, not only 
collaborating on a higher level, but also working at a much higher level, which, which yeah. seems to, you know, that, that seems to be the real driver in many regards of kind of the, the singularity notion. Um, yeah. Do, do you see that as, you know, after, you know, you mentioned four or five years, we'll have kind of that more, more uh, a, a wider box than we have today. Do you see that spike hitting us, um, you know, in, in a way that we're able to, to guide in at least some way, shape, or form? Obviously, I like to hold a, a positive notion of the, of the future as well, but how, how do you see us kind of um, maybe handling a transitioning forward given, given that eventual transition? Yeah. Well, I mean, I subscribe to that. I think, you know, certainly um, because I believe um, at the underlying level it's an information process and, yeah. you know, brains or information processing engines are arguably the best ones so far. Yep. Making those better creates an accelerating effect uh, that's very well described in the Singularity uh, books. Um, but having said that, I think there's a subtlety that uh, uh, connects more to what you said earlier, which I also... Uh, subscribe to, which is productivity, you know, if, if people live, let's say you handled only the physiology, which is, if they're setting aside the fact that there are smart drugs today already that make people, you know, remember things better and think more clearly and with more focus, um, and arguably they do sharpen people up a little bit, uh, and very competitive students, rightly or wrongly, use these things and, yes, and uh, clearly achieve better results than folks who don't, so they're, they're augmented and they're, they're uh, um, uh, counterparts are not. Uh, but setting that aside for the moment, imagine if you could live for 300 years, you know, tripling or quadrupling uh, the amount of productive time you would have, you would, that's also a kind of acceleration. Uh, or if you didn't have to sleep and could work two or three times the amount in a day, uh, even at your present level, you know, unaugmented IQ, uh, you, would, you would be better off and things would accelerate that way and so I think there's a there's a subtle acceleration that will occur when we go down the positive positivism route of handling our physiology and making us healthier and more productive at the core level and then a primary one that will occur when we actually address uh, our brains and their physiology itself and in between those two is sort of our attitude which is you know most many people don't go through therapy or you know, don't think about thinking or you know, figuring out what their thinking style might be. You could imagine, uh, you know, techniques that sort of help there too, and um, uh, you know, improve, uh, train people to think most more efficiently, uh, which might not require you know new hardware. It might just require you know a new approach. Yeah, and and uh, and I think the the speaking of altering attitudes and or altering um, psychology or, or our cognition. I, I was lucky to catch an, uh, catch up with uh, David Pierce, who's um, of, of sort of the, uh, the abolition movement, so to speak, the abolishment of, of suffering in some respects. Do you see a lot of these cognitive enhancements, obviously productivity being, you know, very important given the commercial drivers at play. Um, do, do you see an aggregate transition towards uh, higher semblances of, of fulfillment as maybe coming first, coming later. It sounds to me like maybe some of the pharma companies would be after that, given that uh, you know that, that would seem to be a pretty desirable thing to be able to sell happiness would be a big deal. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, you know, the dilemma is uh, people 
uh, it, it might be a marketing problem, right? You don't want to buy happiness out of a bottle kind of thing, but uh, I think uh, the nutraceutical market, so the you know vitamin market, all those things outside of the common pharma space uh, is a multi-billion dollar market, and it's there because people are seeking that. So I think uh, you know providing um, a mechanism to fulfill that demand certainly uh, would pay off in the long run. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, If you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, And be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, More than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, You can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, So with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.